Oh, God, it's so warm in this room. I think I'm going to overheat. If I overheat and melt on the podcast, then please, guys, uh, call 999 and save me. So Microsoft bought GitHub. Yeah. Uh, $7.5 billion. How do you feel about it, Jordan? Well, I, I tweeted I was pr- I'm pro-Microsoft all the way. Um, but I feel a bit uneasy. I feel a bit uneasy about it. I've, I've been saying I feel like I keep saying GitHub is Switzerland. It's like in this neutral place for all developers, like to put code and it's like, it's like a neutral community. You've got Google people, Google repositories, AWS, AWS people, AWS repositories, Microsoft. And then obviously Microsoft buying it, it kind of makes it not Switzerland anymore. And I wonder how other businesses are going to feel about that. You know, like, like Google and like AWS and like, yeah, you know, people who feel like Microsoft may be a competitor and now they're storing yeah, all yeah. their, you know, their, their intellectual property with them. It just, I, I, yeah. So I feel a bit uneasy about it. I'm sure it'll pass. I think Microsoft have this history of, granted it's tainted with Skype and, and to be honest, recently like Wonderlist and to do where they've kind of effed, effed it a little bit. They've made it worse. Or yeah. Perceived I would, I would like worse. to think, I'd like to think that was a special case. I, I would hope that that would mm-hmm. not be the normal. But I think um, you, it's interesting you mentioned Wonderlist because that does involve some some work of porting an old backend. Well, I say old, uh, an AWS backend to an Azure backend, and I know that there's a lot more work involved in just replacing the the backend because they were changing the way that the authentication works and everything else. You know, integrating it into three six five really. Um, but that that is not just a transition of of um, you know uh, buying a product and leaving it alone. That's that's well and truly integrating it into your product line. The what we're told is that for, for GitHub they are planning on leaving it alone. Yeah, yeah, and that's unsurprising though because if they did didn't say that they would have mutiny. I mean, already I've seen today. Uh, there's a top of Hacker News was GitLab. The huge, the, the huge increase in imports of GitHub repositories to GitLab. Now, I don't know uh, GitLab uh, much, but didn't they have an issue recently, like a massive security issue? There, aren't they on GitLab self-hosted or something? There's a self-hosted version of GitLab. No, well, yes, GitLab is an open-source version right. of GitHub, yeah. and you can self-host it if you want, or you can host, you know, basically do the GitHub version where you pay per user per month. Or, so, or you, why are people choosing GitLab over Bitbucket? That would be my probably go to. Like, I still use Bitbucket. Oh, Bitbucket? I think it's probably the open. I think it's probably the open source element of it, and I, I think people mm. are more likely GitLab. They do a lot of good stuff. I think that security issue you were on about wasn't that when they dropped the data that data production database. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah, but but. But how they responded to it, I think, and, and how they dealt with it was uh, the community didn't, they responded well to it. And um, I mean, as well as can it be expected for dropping a production database and, you know, losing quite a bit of data or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. But, my, um, my apologies. It wasn't a security issue then, was it? It was actually, no, they, dro- they dropped um, a database. <laughs> they went back to a backup, but they lost all things like their webhooks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was something along those lines. I can't remember the, the specifics of it. So people would rather trust them than the Microsoft with their data. And <laughs> and I know this is only like some people, but... Um, yeah, I mean, 
unfortunately not everyone has the same the the same open i say i say open-minded views developers are developers aren't they like we're we're developers and we are we have our little not habits, techies, right? Like even. Microsoft, well, they're techies and people are Microsoft bashes, people are Apple bashes and vice yeah, versa. Exactly, and yeah. I think the problem is that because GitHub was neutral, that, that what it's given is it's opened up the doors to people, to people make comparisons. They're making comparisons, like I said, yeah. between Skype and, 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 you know, what people don't ever say is like, oh, look at Minecraft or as you, as you were saying earlier, Jules, or, oh, look at, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of it like LinkedIn, I guess, but LinkedIn doesn't really fall into the same category. But we live in an environment where everybody's picking up everybody's faults all the time. It's not necessarily everybody's doing great stuff. You hear about you hear about people's faults and problems more than you do about you know or a company's even uh, you know good things they're doing most of the time. And like to me, like I don't actually have like a major opinion right now. I'm still going to continue using GitHub. I don't have any concerns about this at all. However. Well, I like from I guess your, from your point of view, yeah, like yeah, exactly. Personal yeah. concerns, you mean? You're well, that's yeah, what yeah. I'm talking and about. I'm not personally concerned. <laughs> no, like I, I, I'm not going to change anything, but I'm just interested to see like if anything will happen. You know, maybe because it might be really good for GitHub, and like maybe you know there'll be more yeah. resources, or there'll be uh, you know like s- switching things up a lot. They'll push like integrations and things like that, which uh, yeah. Microsoft are pretty good at, to be fair. Yeah, I think this is certainly part of it because they were they had they've had a load of money injected into them, haven't they? And um, people are expecting return on their investment. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't do that, like, what's where? What's their future otherwise? And I think, I, I mean, uh, maybe maybe not everyone would agree because I was about to say that everyone would agree, but surely Microsoft is a better custodian than Oracle or Google. Or, or Google. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah, know if Google I mean, were an actual contender, but uh, wow. Yeah, so Microsoft, Google. yeah, I mean, Microsoft, I'm less concerned about my own personal, like, I'm less concerned personally for me, right? If Google bought it, I would be a little bit more concerned because they have a tendency to kill products or make drastic mm. changes or yeah. do just do dumb shit, like, you know, like, but the, the, the problem or oh, the thing I'm worried about isn't really if they're going to break GitHub because I really don't think they're going to do that. I don't think Microsoft would do that. I think they're smart enough, especially with Satya Nadella at the helm, you know, pushing the whole open source community driven element of this. What I'm concerned about is the fallout is who's going to take which big companies that mm. that with the with the with the person who's leading it with the, who who, don't, who aren't who isn't open minded and who takes the Microsoft bashing stance decides to go right. I'm moving all my stuff off GitHub and I'm moving it to GitLab. For, purely for the reason, and yeah, it would still be there. It would still be on GitLab, but that's another account or another service than I that I would have to sign up to. I'm actually just I'm wanting to avoid the whole, the whole like for you know like you said you've been reading hacking news and stuff. I haven't today because I just don't want to like listen to people doing the whole like it's kind of funny sometimes on Twitter when people want the odd comment, but when it's just going to be a thread of people bashing Microsoft constantly, and I'm not like a major Microsoft person, but it's just like uh I just to. Mm. To, yeah, to be fair, like to have the hacking news community, it wasn't. It was very fifty-fifty. It was, it was, it was, it was. It wasn't people arguing exactly. I mean, some of the comments at the very bottom that downvoted tend to be people with with the wrong the wrong outlook to this. But you know, the top comments are kind of like, yeah, look, I don't like Microsoft have definitely changed in the last you know several years with 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 the advent of their kind of open source cloud initiatives under Satya Nadella and, and you know we're out of the Balmer age right but 
obviously that's tainted some people's impressions of Microsoft. And then the comments are kind of suggestive of, of, yeah, I'm still, I don't want to hold my breath, but you know, you know, I think this is a good thing, but it, it does have, people are a little bit apprehensive, right? So, so it was very much debates around those things. Not necessarily Microsoft bashing, and those debates were the same. The, the way, the reason I feel uneasy with the same reasons those people felt uneasy. I feel like all the people rushing to move to GitLab are the people that you just the, their opinion isn't necessarily the ones that I would find valid in, or not even valid because that's not wrong term. Valuable. But their opinions would be valuable, yeah. Whereas the people who are like, I'm not going to stop using GitHub, but I'm also worried about people with the this knee jerk reaction to condemn it. Yeah, I I would say though from from my point of view, uh, I I am again you know I'm I, I'm fine with this. I think it's um I think it's an interesting thing because um, mm. this is an opportunity for Microsoft to really show um, what their intentions are now with open source because yes they're a very large contributor and yes they say that they are um, you know uh, wanting that kind of open source development environment and they want people to be able to dev on windows or linux or whatever and so on they say all this stuff the proof will kind of come with how Mm. uh, github is treated by them and if they do what they say they do which is to leave it uh, as it is and that might be the the final proof that these kinds of people need to see um to show that you know microsoft isn't the same company that that was all about litigation in the past and things like that they're they're you know, I see them as different. These people don't. So that that would be yeah. that would be quite an interesting thing to see. But the other thing that I um, that I've thought about is that okay, some people are going to leave and they're going to go somewhere else. That's mm. actually a good thing. Um, GitHub right now prob- probably has an unhealthy amount of the the world's open source projects on it. I would say. Um, what do you yeah. mean? You mean that it's got a monopoly, or what? Well, it's—I wouldn't call it a monopoly, but I think some more variation, mixing things up there, would probably be a good thing because mm. everyone left all those other systems because they weren't very good and went to GitHub. But then now all of all of you know humanity's egg, open source eggs are in the GitHub basket now. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all right. It's not all of them, but but generally, kind of competition is good. This is an interesting mm. one because competition in this space, like, what does that mean? What is competition mm. when you're talking about open source development? And and also when you're talking about Git, though, like, it's not like centralized version control, right? It's and that, that yeah, there's and, and, sure. I, and, I, and I understand where you're coming but from. It's not just version control. Like, it's it's yeah. all the other parts. It's the yeah. it's the integrations. It's the webhooks. It's the issues. It's the website. The it's CI the wiki. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think it would be interesting. I would. I quite like the idea of seeing something whereby, you know, those issues and everything else can actually be synchronized um, as part of the repository. Um, I, that would be an interesting thing that I'd like to see. I would like to see innovation in this area. You know, so I, that's one thing that 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 you kind of hit the nail on the head though. GitHub for me hasn't changed in the last two or three years for my, when I'm using it, it doesn't feel like it's moved on massively. There's been Mm -hmm. some UI improvements. There's been some small tweaks. Uh, I hear people saying that they've made quite a large, um, large additions to like enterprise, the enterprise additions. I re I saw Mm -hmm. they've got the checks recently in the last few weeks. 
uh, that have kind of I haven't looked at them. I don't I don't use them, but I feel like the UI feels like it's it's getting old a little bit. Like like I feel like if you look at Bitbucket, it's made it's come on leaps and bounds. It's so much better than it used to be. But it's also um, it's that weird Atlassian UI. I don't like. You know, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, for sure. It's it's still cumbersome. I find Bit Bitbucket is very the UI has got it's got better and worse, but in different areas. Whereas GitHub, I feel like when you say people are going to leave, I also th- that also means developers are going to leave and new developers are going to come in who actually work at GitHub, right? Hmm. And as long as they they stay true to the culture and or not necessarily stay true to the culture, but stay true to what GitHub is meant to be. Then actually having some other people come in and say, these features that you've you got, we can throw more resource at them and we can get them done or we can do them better or whatever. Because I feel like, like Visual Studio Team Services, right? I feel like is a better enterprise, not enterprise, because GitHub has an enterprise edition and I, don't, I haven't really looked at it, but things like reviewing pull requests. I find that the experience of VSTS, maybe it's because I was used to it because I find it easier now in GitHub because I've been using GitHub a lot. I just feel like the neither one is, is the most optimal way of doing it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I want, I want now that they've got two teams that have seen different sides of it, maybe if they put their heads together, they might it might make VSTS better. I, right? I they might think, say... Hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think they're going to... I. I, I while they would probably share ideas, I I don't see anything like that happening in anytime yeah. soon. the 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 VSTS team very very much have their own culture. They are they uh, you know build uh, VSTS on VSTS, and they're very kind of public about it. I'm sure they would be happy to share their information with the folks over at GitHub, but I think they've got different agendas. One of the things that I think I would not be surprised to see whether it's whether it happens or not, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised to see um, VSTS move to, um, you know, perhaps being more integrated into the Microsoft um, Azure kind of backend because th- that product could be better integrated into the backend because it's already using uh, Azure for storage and identification and all of that stuff. And then GitHub can just sit as being a generic all you know, it'll work with anything. It'll work with Azure, it'll work with AWS, it'll work with whatever. Mm. But VS, VSTS can move closer to the Azure portal, to the Azure backend and make it so that, you know, the the DevOps process of, you know, doing stuff in the cloud and uh, doing stuff in your repositories in VSTS becomes closer together. Um, but I, I don't really see him trading, um, you know, UIs, anytime soon yeah i guess i guess this is people's concern as well because people don't want them to start meddling with these things i sure. guess and I, and I think i think people would be more accepting of them innovating in that way mm. through integrations into the plat into the the cloud platform with azure and vsts because i think there's probably a lot of crossover in users not yeah. as much crossover github to azure and i think that i think it's just better to not focus on that kind of thing mm. I mean, retrospectively, looking back on what I've said, I, I guess I didn't necessarily mean it. Like they would bring people, developers would would move in from Microsoft, and, and I don't they they wouldn't because it's going to be autonomous. It's going to have its mm. own autonomy. Yeah. So they'll have their own hiring process. It's not going to move. I guess what I'm, I'm kind of trying trying to say is that it it's not going to happen short term, but there will be some kind of long term vision, and it won't necessarily mean that they'll change it in the long term either. VSTS or GitHub, but you know, you say that they might, you know. 
I think GitHub, you said, run on AWS. I think it does. I believe it does. Yeah, I believe it uses things like storage. Mm. Yeah, and and like, I don't think that would move to Azure anytime soon. And if they decided that they would do, they should do that, even as a long-term objective. Like I'm talking about, by long-term, I mean two or three years. I think that's a terrible idea. Because, and I would be worried if they said, right, we're going to start migrating this to Azure to save money. Because... Azure and AWS are very, very different. They, yeah. they have different PaaS systems. They have different, you know, virtual machine like infrastructure service systems. But they they're built on very different. It would be a lot of work. It would be a lot of work, and there wouldn't for be not much a lot use. of gain. Mm. Yeah. So they they just appointed a new CEO. Yeah, the ex CEO or not ex CEO is he the still CEO of Xamarin? How did that work? Disney line into Scott. He's line into, he's going to line into Scott Guthrie, isn't he? Yeah, he would. Yeah, it's Nat. Um, no. there's a, I've got a link. Uh, I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. I wasn't super familiar. Um, I wasn't actually super, uh, familiar with him. Yeah. Nat, um, Nat Friedman. Yeah. Yeah. Nat Friedman. So he's, uh, VP developer services at Microsoft, CEO, co-founder of Xamarin, now CEO at GitHub. Well, here's the problem then, or not necessarily problem, problem, but they say that it's not going to change. And I, I believe um, the current C- so so this mm. is an interesting thing that the current C or the ex CEO of GitHub for, as of yesterday as of today um, he he stepped down as CEO a few months ago but is mm-hmm. still in the position because they've been looking for a replacement yes right so but he's still steering the company as the CEO right so he he's now becoming a Microsoft technical fellow and will line into Scott Guthrie I mean I don't really know how that works if you sell your company for seven billion dollars. In your boss's Scott Guthrie, I don't know how that works. Obviously, there'll be some kind of buyout. If he's a technical, the technical fellows can can do anything they want. Yeah, but it did it did specifically say that he would line into Scott Guthrie. Well, so I mean, yeah, I don't, that's is that part but, of the business? Yeah, and it, it will be probably contracted in for a number of years anyway to, to 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 obviously take out the full amount of the the shares that he's getting in Microsoft. Because um, it's not a cash deal; it's a Microsoft shares deal. Yeah. Um, billionaire problems. Billionaire problems. Mm-hmm. But, but he was stepping down as CEO, so they were, and they could not fill those shoes for four months, right? They were struggling to do it. Microsoft come along, comes along and buys GitHub. Fine, they put the CEO, ex CEO of Xamarin, in in the hot seat, and they're saying, mm, "Well, we're not going to change anything." So what's yeah, his, what, uh, well, so mm. what's 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 Nat's job going to be? So presumably they're not going to change anything in terms of focus. So obviously if a CEO changes, I guess something changes. You're right. But they're not going to do a Xamarin, are they? Because, I mean, Well, that Xamarin, was folded into Microsoft, wasn't it? Well, like, yeah. Like, but When I think of Xamarin, I don't really think of them as a business anymore. No. I think and it's just Microsoft and the tech. Those, those people, um, it was all about bringing those people in and making them work on the, on the same products because they were all working on the same things anyway. It just, yeah. you know bring them all together um, to, to, you know, get that extra talent. I don't think that's what's happening with GitHub, right? GitHub don't make a special runtime that, that is compatible with theirs. They don't, they don't have market for, you know, apps on mobile phones or anything like that. So there's no, there's nothing really special there apart from the fact that Microsoft will technically um, be the custodians of Electron, which is quite funny. Um, so I don't think they're going to integrate anything from GitHub into Microsoft, really. I I, I wonder if they'll change the, ent- the the enterprise stuff after a while, but 
Yeah, I, don't know. I guess that's you're right. That's... With, with the CEO change, there is a big change. There is a change. A change at the top does does mean a big change to the company. But um, I I, yeah, I do they, wonder. They say it's the same. Yeah, I do. I do wonder what will change because I mean, seven and a half billion dollars. They might want to do something mm. to maybe increase their you know return of investment. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I hope you know they don't do anything maybe. against against the grain. Let's talk about that price though. Seven point five billion dollars. I read yeah. that in 2016, their annual GitHub's annual recurring revenue was roughly 160 million dollars a year. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of growth rate the GitHub have had, but obviously in the last two years, you know, GitHub's been growing exponentially. But would that be two, two or threefold growth? Like, would you, I mean, you're doubling your company's size every year, like in terms of revenue. Is that? Mm-hmm. We don't have any. Or at least I don't have any of this information to hand, and I make an assumption, so I, I could be very wrong. But say they grow the business, they they, they double the business um, in those two years. So it goes from 180 million to 360 million in annual recurring revenue, hmm. right? A, a 15 times multiplier on a on a technology company that puts the valuation at around four and a half billion dollars. You know, or if it's 10 times valuation, 300, and, you know, 300, mm-hmm. 360 million times 10, you know, 3.6 billion. Microsoft paid 7.5 billion dollars. That's that's a lot more than there's a lot more than. Do we know if than, there are people competing? We don't. We don't know right. if there are people competing. Yeah, so sure. so that's that's. But that's the so, thing. It's like you don't go in. You, you go in, and some someone will go. Well, you know, we'll we'll do fifteen times. We'll, we'll do a ten times multiplier of your revenue. I'm sure it doesn't work like that for a company like Gitto, But I'm just saying mm-hmm. that that's kind of what we're used to people talking about, right? And. You know, someone at Google, Google come in, let's say Google were bidding, you know, we'll offer you 10 times multiplier, so we'll offer you $2 billion. Bearing in mind the last valuation uh, investment was $2 billion, so it would have had to be more than that anyway. So I guess they've got to meet the investors' expectations, right? If they'd sold out for $2 billion, some of their investors wouldn't have made any money, right? So it would have at least had to double, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of makes me think that are, are they are Microsoft in it to to make money off this? Yeah, which this isn't about Microsoft. It's not about Microsoft making money though. And I'm not coming up from that point of view. I'm coming up. I'm coming up from the point of view that if I was, if I was the the founders of GitHub, mm-hmm. how the hell did it get to seven point five billion dollars? Yeah, how did you know it what get I mean? Like my, my, Microsoft wouldn't want if it, they're not interested. Microsoft aren't make interested in making any money from it. They want the users and they want to push their you know their other products through just you know it being part of their however they want to do it they're not going to go well we're going to pay two times more than we should for it they're going to try and get it at a decent price right but not 7.5 billion compared to something like a 4 billion do you know what i mean they're not going to mm. it's not like they can see it it's not got like these returns at least we don't know right we're just making an assumption so i'm not talking necessarily from the microsoft point of view i'm talking about how the hell they got how did github get microsoft to pay 7.5 billion dollars from them because if I was if I was the CEO or the founders of GitHub and they offered me four billion four point five billion dollars at double the valuation the valuation I got a couple of years ago from my last investment round, you'd be like mouth watering like Christ. Four point five billion, right? But it's three yeah. billion higher than do you know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. it's not a small it's it just doesn't there's something that doesn't 
I mean, I'm not an expert, so I can't. Obviously, it's not going to make sense to me. But well, I guess I guess we'll have to see in the future how this turns out if they make any changes. Uh, I don't have any concerns right now, personally. But I I guess we'll have to see because I guess they might want to capitalize on it. I don't know. We shall find out. Jules, how do you feel? What's your closing thoughts on this? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I'm not expecting any major changes right away. And I wonder if we'll find out in time that perhaps the money was to rescue um, GitHub in some way and that and that basically mm. they were just they were just chucking the money at it just to, mm. to keep people happy, you know. Yeah, but that seven point five billion dollars is not going into the business, is it? It's no, literally no. to buy out the founders. Yeah, well, no, the investors because people put people pumped a lot of money into right. GitHub, and yeah, how are they going to get that money? GitHub that's is not true. the kind of uh, um, yeah, organization that's, that's going to give a lot of money back to those investors. This basically just sorts everything, sorts all those guys out. Doesn't matter anymore. They, they they're not worried about getting their money because they've got it. Yeah, and GitHub can just focus on being good platform. Uh, yeah, just 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 you know, free open source. Um, you know, just focus on those things without mm-hmm. having to worry about Microsoft taking their money away from them. Yeah. Jordan, final thoughts? Yeah, I'm uneasy, but I'm hopeful. Don't think anything's going to change in the short term. I want people to stay on GitHub, though, because it is very much the place, the community. It is the place to be. That Octocat is cool. We've just finished uh, watching WWDC, at least me and Jules has. Uh, Jordan sadly missed it, so... I tried to watch it. I um, yeah, you got caught up in the office talking to one of our engineers about TCP hole punching. And we... And various other things. And it lasted about two hours, so... Cool. Whoops. So... Yeah, so me and Jules watched WWDC. Um, WWDC, uh, if I say that slowly... Uh, I guess, Jordan, we're going to talk about this and you'll have to pop in with maybe questions from what you think. Um, you've, you've, sounds interesting to you. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff, I think. It was completely, completely software based. There was no hardware announced at all. Um, so I guess, Jules, if you run through in, in the motion they did, so iOS, watchOS, tvOS, which we'll probably just skip, I think, and then macOS. This is like my first reaction, so there's got to be things in iOS and tvOS and stuff that oh, there will you, be there you, will you be. like. We're gonna go through iOS, uh, watchOS, skip tvOS, mm. and then go on to macOS. I didn't mean skip it all. <laughs> I meant just skip tvOS because tvOS. Um, well, yeah. So uh, starting with iOS, Jules, um, what was interesting to you? The measurement thing. That was the best thing. Yeah, so Apple um, Sherlocked a bunch of AR measurement apps as they do. Yeah, so with this measurement thing, I'm kind of taking the Mickey. It's not my it's not my favorite thing in the world ever, but I think it's like um, the generic app for AR in the same way that a calculator is. You know, every operating system has a calculator. I think it makes sense for an AR system to have the ability to measure things. So this is basically the way of using your iPhone to see some objects and then draw lines on them to get the measurement. So if you need the dimensions of something, if you need to know how, how large a wall is or a table, you can do a measurement from there and it's not going to be perfectly exact, but I liked it. I thought that was a nice, that was a nice new, um, app coming to, um, coming to iOS. 
So how does it? It's using AR kit. So you, so you, you look through the camera, you see the table through the camera, you tap on one side of the table, you tap on the other side of the table and it draws a line between mm-hmm. them and measures it and tells you how many, you know, centimeters or yards. Is that a measurement people use? I don't know. How, how does it know things? just on the camera without any kind of calibration? Depth perception. Well, it's using, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's using the um, AR kit APIs. I mean, it, it has some idea of the spatial uh, recognition of the world around it. It's nowhere near as good as the HoloLens, but yeah, you can you can use that to to pretty accurately guess the yeah. uh, the size of things. I guess the interesting thing is that the so the iPhone, uh, at least the Plus models and the ten have dual cameras, which gives it that depth ability. But the iPads, which they demo it on the most, uh, don't have dual cameras. So it's interesting to see kind of. Well, it'd be it'd be good to know how they do that. Is that does that dual camera stuff actually make a difference to ARKit in terms? Well, of, yeah. So they because they they. They're able to do depth analysis through being able to get a closer photo and a further out photo, I guess. Yeah, but that that was how they did the does, um the the portrait mode stuff. That was part of yeah. I get that for the image processing and things. Like if you're if you're taking a picture, you want. To I would only assume that that's images. a way of being able to get depth mm. and uh, analyze that kind of stuff. I don't so, know. Yeah, I, mean, but I don't you, understand how that they reference that. I understand with things like the Hololens. Where it's got actual like infrared sensors and like it projects dots and can build up. I don't know. I I don't understand it, I, and I've not read about it. I'll have to see how um how precise it is. But yeah, that was pretty cool. I guess there was a lot of cool stuff in iOS that I actually enjoyed. Um, so I might run through through uh run yeah, through a you, few. Yeah, you I've should. Got. You should. I've got I've got one more that I want to talk about, but I'll I'll talk about it when you get to it. Yeah. So there were some really good things with um, being able to configure Do Not Disturb and also mm-hmm. uh, notifications in general that were really helpful. Uh, also, groups notifications is back, which is great. Um, so you, now you can say, "All right, just clear all these notifications that are a part of this thread." I'm, really a, I'm amazed that that wasn't there. Um, so before. they well they had so. I don't know when they removed it, but they had Iowa at the groups notifications by app years and years ago and they removed it and they've brought it back. But now it seems to be smarter in a way that you can, uh, it does it by like a thread or like a time. Yeah. So it yeah. looks, it looks pretty good to me. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm happy with that stuff. Uh, do not disturb stuff is really good. The, what did they add to it? For, for do not disturb. Yeah. Ooh. Can I, can I try and explain it? Let me, let yeah. me see if I can explain it. So I think when when it gets to the evening, it will actually turn off things like the notification. So that if you look at your screen um, at it, like at bedtime, uh, it won't show all the notifications and it won't show you bright colored wallpaper, which mm-hmm. I thought was a really good idea. Um, but they also showed stuff like turn do not disturb until I leave this location. Um, so if you're in a meeting, yeah, or this this calendar event, that sounds really good. That's so yeah. useful because I, I when I use Do Not Disturb, it's usually because I'm going into like the cinema, right? Mm-hmm. I I would use it then because I, I forget to turn it off, and then people like text me and I don't see it, and then they get annoyed. The reason I really like this stuff is because, as you guys know, I've been putting Do Not Disturb on from when I go to bed when it's bedtime up until when I've finished with all my morning routine stuff. So having, so, so the thing is I do use my phone for like podcasts and stuff, right? While I'm in that period, because I have to, um, we'll get to that later. Um, so I do see notifications I don't want to see until later and they kind of clog up my screen. So now in the morning, I won't be able to, I won't have to see the notifications until I turn off, do not disturb. And it actually comes back to me, which is great. Like I just won't get that 
that um, input in my life. So I, I really, mm-hmm. really enjoyed that bit. That's quite important to me. I really like that stuff. There were a load of other things to do with <laughs> doing a step. To be fair, we just come directly from watching the keynote. And I did try and grab as much notes as I could again, but I think we'll have to kind of see how this stuff plays out, maybe link to some things. Um, so they, they did some really interesting things with, um, I guess Google did that thing a while ago, or their, their keynote a couple of weeks ago about uh, Google IO about, um, well-being in computers. Uh, you know, I forgot human well-being, for example. And, um, something that Apple have done now is that they are doing automatic weekly reports on statistics, uh, what you see, what you use your phone for the most, what you use your devices for the most across all of your devices. So you can say, you know, you can see, sorry, rather that, um, you know, you spend the most time on this app and, uh, you, you do this the most, for example. Uh, so that was quite, there's, there's a lot more to it again. Um, but the interesting part is when you can start limiting, how much time you want to spend on apps and it will not let you in the app. Obviously you can extend it um, in, in the dialogue, but they, they try and block the app off because you've manually set a limit. And it works with categories too. Yeah. Yeah. So categories and like so I said, there's only, only one hour of gaming. Right. And then there was obviously the, the parent side to it, but I'm not particularly interested in that, but I can see how it's helpful where you can say yeah. as a parent, only let my daughter or, or, or son use this app or use this category of apps or don't use these apps and then only use them for an hour, for example. The the one big one that I was super keen on, and we've, we've been, we've discussed a couple of times since, uh, and I'm sure we'll discuss this some more, Andrew, the uh, series <laughs> shortcuts. Sake. Yes. So me and Jules have been arguing a little bit about this. Mm, because so much better than work. It's not, we don't know that yet because Essentially, Workflow was bought by Apple last year, um, and we didn't know what they would do with it. They have updated a few times to, you know, make sure that um, it's up to date, I guess. And they did actually remove some things uh, when they asked companies to, uh, say, like, sign a document to say, you know, you can integrate with my app. Um, and we haven't seen anything from the Workflow team since they started, since they were acquired. And now we we see essentially what is workflow exactly. Like it's really weird seeing workflow, but under the Siri shortcuts app. Now Siri shortcuts was great when it was first introduced because they didn't actually link it to the workflow app. What they said was you can have or apps can have custom integrated essentially like uh, actions. So you could you could go into an app and it's like, hey, um, you have this plane ticket add this to Siri. And then when you say to Siri, Hey, show me my plane ticket that I've got today. It will know which plane ticket you're talking about because you've gone into the app and assigned it to Siri, which is really mm-hmm. cool. So that was like, Oh, that's really, really good. Now, you know, you'll be able to go into overcast, right. And all your, your music player that isn't podcasts or uh, Apple music and say, Hey, um, add the Siri intent basically for, uh, you know, playing music through, uh, through Spotify to Siri. So now you can control Spotify with Siri, which is great because we've always wanted that. Um, and then they they showed us custom actions. And that is essentially a workflow because it's branded exactly the same. All the examples that they've got in, in the... It's not branded the same, sorry. It's branded differently as Siri shortcuts. But the style of it with the, the gradients and the icons looks exactly the same as workflow pretty much. Um, and essentially you've got these these custom actions which are workflows so uh 
I'm currently saying that we don't know what Apple have removed from workflow to make it into Siri shortcuts, and Jules insists that it will still be the same. Well, I think it, I think this is this is already going to be much more useful than workflows because it's just going to be built in. Um, the I mean, obviously, it's an it's kind of like a natural progression of workflows to 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 build that stuff into the OS now that they're part of Apple. So being able to say Siri, I'm going home, yeah, um, and and it kicking off a number of tasks, so setting the thermostat, putting some music on, turning the scene the on, GPS. Yeah, doing all of that stuff. Um, that's that's more people are going to use that through Siri and through uh, iOS twelve than were ever would even knew that Workflow existed. Right? right. So it's already it's gonna it's gonna reach more people. Um, I just think I just think it's gonna be like uh, adding shortcuts into the applications in general. Really, really useful. Being able to chain shortcuts together. Um. You know, it's it's, so, it's exactly the same as, as workflow, but better because it's built directly in. You say that the, the but, one <laughs> the one that you mentioned was was calling a, a web service. Yes, of course you'll be able to do that. Like if if for some reason, some crazy reason, Apple have removed the ability to call a web service directly through the whatever tool you use to configure this. Uh, you know, at the moment you go into the workflows app, whether you go into the shortcuts app, I don't know. But even if they don't, you just ins- just install an app that does web services like IFTTT, and then right. add a sh- Siri shortcut for that. But the the, the I to right. So from my perspective, workflow is yes, I agree. It's a tool for power users, right? Who are doing very very specific stuff in the iPad, and Siri shortcuts is a way that's kind of like um, making it more consumer focused, I guess, and like average Joe in a way. I, I so my concern is that. When I have the action in workflow to, it's called get contents from WebUI or whatever it's called, but it's not, you know, it's, uh, you know, essentially call any API by literally entering a HTTP URL, right? Will Apple want to like have custom actions for, hey, call the, um, I don't know, call the, the Hacker News API as a bad example, or will it just be call an API and you can completely customize that? And we don't know this stuff yet. And, where workflow is really great is that you have a lot of programming like control uh, control structures and scripting abilities that programming has and so being able to build up workflows is very yes it's pro user based but it's very very powerful and my concern is that by consumerizing and like making this like for an average person they will be masking a lot of that stuff and not giving the pro users what they want now if you were able to continue using the standard workflow app for pro base, you know, for, for pro things, which isn't going to happen because they're exactly mm. the same. And just being able to yeah. uh, add those, those Siri actions, I would be very happy, but that's probably not going to happen. So my concern, Jules, is that they are going to make this for the average person and not, and by doing that, removing a lot of the programmer like, stuff in in Siri uh, shortcuts so we'll see, we'll see we'll see i'm looking forward to it so jordan did you grasp this yes cool do you have any questions i need to see it working yeah you I'm, probably I'm, you probably uh, do i i probably they did a demo on in the in in it and like they got up on stage and they did the demo and people got under, the, you kind of got the gist of it i think it's 
I don't know. The way it's been pitched here by you guys is it's kind of the answer to Siri being better than it has been. Yeah. And I I don't know. I always feel like a bit let down with what Siri has to offer. So maybe it's as you guys seem pretty like positive about it, which is quite good because you guys are pretty conservative when it comes to Siri. Yeah. Uh, like Siri positive. So yeah, I don't use Siri very much at all. Um, so this, this, this looks like something that I would use. And of course you can call these shortcuts directly from the watch. Right. Which is something you were obviously happy about. And I like, um, so, so, but I guess I, I'll leave this for later, but yeah, I like, I've been working on some workflows later and being able to then call them from, from Siri would be really cool. And that's something you can't currently do with the, what, uh, the, the, um, can't currently do with with workflow because Siri don't offer those intents, and it's the same with uh, you know Overcast for example, and we or Spotify like as Jordan like you'll know as a Spotify user, um, you're like hey uh, Siri, can you just play Spotify? And it's like no, I can't. You're gonna have to open your phone for that. Whereas if you have Apple Music, it just works. So now. Being able to say to Spotify, add the Siri kit, uh, sorry, add the Siri integration basically, and approving it, it'll just work, which is great. Which is what we've kind of always wanted. And um, mm-hmm. I, I'm really looking forward to that. So, I, yeah. Again, I will just want to see how this, this turns out to be yeah. we'll, compared we'll, to workflow. We'll see how. Yeah, we'll see how that goes in terms of the more programming features. But I think I think this is a this is a good thing. I don't oh, yeah, know how completely. much I'm going to use it myself, but um, I I totally see this as being a good positive feature for Siri. Yeah, we'll we'll pick this up again in a in a minute. Definitely. I guess there were a bunch of um, an emoji related things I want to mention. Uh, they there's, boring. Well, hmm. mm-hmm. I was actually just like I, I was like yeah, this is all you know fine. I think they they actually had a massive marketing hit with that previously so they're obviously going to capitalize on that again they now have the ability to build your own an emoji um based on uh, a bunch of meme facial emoji. features yeah meme emoji but uh, kind of I like think that's, um, i think that's a, that's a kind of a good idea they, they they've sherlocked bitmoji a bit there yes they? exactly and, and they did the same thing with snapchat by putting in all these filters into messenger yeah messaging messages and i you know called. what like i was so i was watching it i was like oh god it's one of these again and it's like, hmm, yeah, this, like I don't like I did use uh, an emoji once, and then I haven't used it since. Um, well, I, but... I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, I would, I would totally, if I had an iPhone X10, whatever, um, I would, I would totally use this just because it's stupid, right? Yeah, it's fun. I, I, it's one of those things. It brings joy to people's lives. I, so it is, it is dumb, but it's. So there's there's two things about the whole thing that made me actually like kind of smile or like I was like, oh, it's kind of fun was when you were able to put it over your own face. Like, sorry, you're over your own. Yeah, over your yeah. own face. Right. So you have your animated and emoji or me emoji face over your photo and or video, which is quite fun. And the second one was when that very Tim Cook looking like one was actually Tim Cook and he was speaking on FaceTime, which moving on FaceTime now has group FaceTime support. Uh, for up to I'm thirty-two sh- I'm people, absolutely shocked, shocked that it didn't have this already. So I have a couple shocked. of things to say about this. One, yes, very long time coming. Two, uh, up to thirty-two people is quite interesting. Like it's quite a lot of people. Yeah. But is the it? I don't know. What's the limit on Skype? I have no is idea. That, is that a lot? 
I, I don't actually uh, know. Skype's. I don't think I've never tried it with more than I think I've only. Thirty-two uh, people is a class. Skype for business. Skype for business or Skype personal. Do you Doesn't know the matter, answer to either? They do the same thing. Mm. I don't know the answer, but I don't think thirty-two was a, was like a super amazing number. It was more than uh, I was expecting. I, I, I think it's a good number. But the, the, what, in, what? So moving on to my next point, which I thought was quite enjoyable, right, was the interesting UI they made for it with the grids that yeah. are floating around when they get that's, bigger that's and smaller. Horrible. You don't like it. No, I don't. Don't float the heads around. What's the point? But I so I was thinking about this, and compared to Teams video calls, when they have the grids and like then the people who don't get, who, yeah, don't get me wrong. I think I think you know I think like things like Teams could do a better job by making sure that they're um that things are centered properly because I think at the moment heads in Teams they don't all fit on the screen. Um, I know that. Uh, FaceTime does a good job with that because it it moves, doesn't it? It moves the center point yes. of the image. It does that. It does that automatically, which is which is good. But um, I don't know. Having big floating boxes that change in dynamically change in shape and everything when people are talking seems like a distraction. I might be wrong, but th- but they are showing it with like thirty two people or whatever it was they were showing. That's that's like the edge case. As long as that works, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was all pretty good. I guess, last of all, uh, to wrap up my notes on iOS, that was quite interesting, was uh, the supporting all devices. And I guess they, they started with focusing around performance and they've made some pretty impressive performance improvements for uh, the success, which I think. So they've actually yeah. they haven't dropped support for this any for any devices in this release, which is uh, this, probably a first so for this, a while. This sounds like a, a Vista to Windows 7 type deal where they're not changing the kernel. They're just um, focusing on something like performance, whereby... Of course, it's going to work on the old stuff. I mean, they would they would artificially be making it not work on the old stuff at this stage. Uh, it is good to hear that they're making stuff like two times faster. Yeah. But how how was performance not their priority before? <laughs> well, it, I guess with Apple devices, like when you've got an older device and you upgrade, it just dies out a little they bit. Just go, yeah, they just go slower. Yeah. Great, I've got that to look forward to. So, yeah. So, moving on to to watchOS was, uh, I guess, Jules's main focus of this event. Uh, it was actually pretty good. So, pretty good. Um, so, 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 just just before we get into that, so I I've not seen anything about watchOS yet. But one of the things we spoke about last week, uh, briefly, was like, what what do we expect? One of them was custom complications or watch faces. Did we get that? No, so they don't have custom oh. watch face support. However, uh, the Siri kit watch. Uh, sorry, I keep saying Siri kit. The Siri watch face um, got the ability to have custom, or sorry, third party app support, which is actually really helpful because I found that because I use third party third party apps for everything. When I switch to using the Siri watch face, there's nothing on it. Yeah, for me, having Outlook in there would be a lot more useful right. than having the built-in calendar. Um, and they showed they showed like the the Nike Plus um, app uh, on their screenshots. They showed the Nike Plus app showing um, stuff in there as well, which is good. Rather than having a compl- it as a complication, if it works in the Siri watch face as well, that's a good thing to ha- to have. Yeah, whether I'll use a Siri watch face or not, I don't know. So I so I don't actually have much more to say about this for watchOS myself. But the last thing I wanted to say personally was that there is now an API for apps to have um background audio support which is great because now overcast for example can now come to the watch properly and not through workout apps so that's amazing um and i'm very looking forward to getting overcast on my watch which means i can now potentially look at 
not taking my phone th- uh, my phone with me when I go for a walk in the morning. But you don't have you don't have the cellular TV no the watch. Well, that's another problem because I can't get it until I either change carrier or um, EE support. Sorry, not EE three support uh, the Apple Watch. So, uh, Jules, what were your main excitements from the uh, watchOS section? Walkie talkies. What's this? What's that's, this? The, that's the best thing. That's by far the best thing. Walkie talkie. So Walkie talkie. Pu- yeah. Push, push to talk. You can choose a couple of friends, a few friends. Um, so if I was using it with you, Jordan, I would press the talk button and say something. It would bleep on your end and you'd be able to hear me talk. And then you'd be able to say something back exactly like a push to talk. Walkie talk. Wait, 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 wait. Does it run over data? Like, Cellular and Wi-Fi. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So you would need to be. And and is it instant? Is it push to talk, or and do I have to accept it? Or yeah, or it's, do, it's push, it it's push to talk. As in, I push to talk, and it'll send a. I think it sends the ma- the the message across, and then there's a delay while it transfers it, and then you get it the other end. So I don't think it's real time, but um, right. yeah, it looked. It might be real time. I, I didn't. I think he like did use the word real time. Is it? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, even better. We'll find out. I mean, it, th- either way, it looked. Um, it looked good. It looked. It looked. Uh, it looked like a nice feature. It's, it's definitely something that I, I would mean, use. Yeah, my, be, my concern bet, with that is that I'm going to be in a meeting and you're going to go sausages. Yeah, I, I think you've got to be... You know, you're just going to shout yeah. sausages across my watch and then, you know... Yes, that's exactly what I would do. Well, but, um, something like that. I think you've got to be, you've got to be agreeing to do it. I, I don't know. It looks, it looks good fun. I did also like the idea of the competitions between users with activity. I'll wait and see... Um, I'll wait and see if I actually use that, but I thought that looked pretty good. Generally, I think it was just a nice, it was a nice update for, for the watch. Nothing too crazy though. Just no, I think the background audio API is, is something that I've been wanting for a long time. Oh, it's worth mentioning actually. Um, I did see in the screenshots, um, it did seem to group notifications as well. So I would assume that the notifications and do not disturb stuff from iOS has also been moved over to watchOS. It, it looked like it. It looked like the notifications were grouped to me. Something that I did see was the ability to change the um, Wi-Fi network your watch is connected to on the watch. Does that interest you guys for uh, any reason why? Because I couldn't um, think of a I, reason why. The thing is, I've never needed to do that. It just works. No, oh, exactly, yeah. And I guess it just mimics your phone, whatever your phone's connected to. So it seems to. I don't know why I'd really that. If someone can tell me, that'd be great. Well, we can't. <laughs> so finally, uh, macOS. Because we're... you're not even going to bother with TVOS. <laughs> why would I bother with TVOS? Was there anything? Was there anything? I'm going to say I don't think they said anything uh, that any developer uh, would be interested in about TVOS. Oh, maybe people who have actually an Apple TV. I'm forgetting. Uh, Jules, you don't like these, but me and Jordan really do like the, you know, the screensavers, Jordan, that the TV, the Apple TV does? Oh, yeah. They, yeah, yeah, what about? So they've been working with the International Space Station, and they've got a, an Earth one, which changes uh, during the day to dark, and you can see the world lit up, and it, it goes around the world. It's really, really cool. Um, I'd be interested to see that one. It'll it'll wear off pretty quickly, but it, yeah, okay, nice little tweet. <laughs> me and, so a little anecdote, me and Jordan were sat, on the sofa in uh, the house on South that we've got. And um, the TV was doing this, uh, one of the, the, they're called aerials. So he's, John's on the phone and I'm like typing away on my keyboard or whatever. And 
we look up and I'm like, oh my God, that one looks amazing. And it was this airport. And then I look at Jordan and I'm like, look at this. It's an airport. looks really cool. And he's like, yeah, sorry. It's really cool. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Because we had this debate as to whether or not they were real because they look they like they're like animated, but they are, but they're just doing it a real, like, like they're slowed down, aren't they? Or something. They shoot at like something like 8K, like God knows how many frames per second. Yeah. They're really, really smooth. So, uh, yeah, macOS, uh, uh, system-wide dark mode. Include, including an Xcode. How, how have people been using Xcode and not have a, not have a dark mode for it? Yeah. They wear sunglasses while they code. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I understand like, some people have a preference for a lighter theme. I did for the longest time. Yeah, same. I, I would say that I do still switch it up. Maybe not in the code editor, but I do switch it up between other applications whether it's dark or light. Um, but I'm, I'm amazed that they didn't have this. So everything seems to be going in this dark mode way. And I keep switching on my apps to have dark mode as soon as I get support for it. Yeah, me too. But it's, but it's weird because in the past, like even apps with dark mode, I would be like, I'd switch, like I would, I would have them in light mode and then switch between them sometimes. However, I keep, so I keep switching everything to dark mode and I think eventually I'm probably just going to go like, all right, let's try light mode again for a bit. I don't. So in in Windows, it, not all applications, but in in, in Windows, uh, you can ask the system whether it's in light or dark mode and switch between them. But um, I do tend to switch between light and dark mode. Uh, in fact, actually, in front of me right now, I have two Surface Books. One is set in light mode and the other one is set in dark mode. Um, but applications like the mail and calendar, I have uh, set to be light because I actually prefer the way that they look in the light mode. And apps like Visual Studio and Code, I have in the dark mode all the mm. time. So yeah. for, for me, the shell sometimes is dark and sometimes is light. Um, but, you know, ideally, I think having a switch to be able to switch everything or being able to set it to switch at a certain time mm-hmm. is is would be a really, really nice feature. And yeah. presumably they'll do something along those lines for for uh mac os it's good it's good that they've got um they've got that dark mode in there yeah microsoft are actually improving theirs um dark mode in uh file explorer actually i've got a little story about that um dark mode in file explorer is purely 100 percent because of feedback they had no intention of adding a dark mode in file explorer in windows yeah. 10 but because it because of insiders saying we want a dark mode for a file mm-hmm. explorer they decided to do it that's it pretty cool totally yeah totally based on feedback nice so the the other thing about dark mode that was cool was that you can have your Mac change and get slightly darker at the end of the evening and then get lighter over the day, I guess. It follows the day. I forgot how they phrased it. So that was pretty cool. I thought that was just for the wallpaper. No, I because I, I, w- I was trying to look at the um like the Mac bar and and stuff and I think it follows it as well. Or I guess it's transparent. It's because it's transparent. So it looked like it was it, using it? the light one. I don't yeah. know. But it would be it would make sense if it did switch. So they've got a new Mac App Store. Um, so the Mac App Store has been this weird place at the moment where uh, people are leaving it because it's it's been abandoned or it doesn't give them flexibility or, you know, people don't use it, people use it. Uh, I think a lot of companies are leaving it. Um, and they've now relaunched it. It's much more like the iOS App Store because that got an upgrade last year and that's been really, really, really good for Apple, I think. Um a lot of apps are coming back to it, and they've they've agreed. For example, Panic and Transmit are coming back. Uh, Adobe have Lightroom CC, I think it was coming back. CC, yeah, CC. Uh, and there was another one as well. Oh, BB Edit was quite a big one. So I'm not 
that interest in this, but I think it's a long time coming because the Mac App Store has not changed. Like, I don't remember it changing since I, like, since like Snow Leopard. I mean, it has obviously, mm. but it feels like it hasn't. It's just like the same design as well, and it's slow and it really does. Like, I was using it today to update this MacBook I've got, and I was I was clicking updates and then purchases, and I was clicking purchases, and it wouldn't switch at all. And then I went back to upgrades, and it was like cool. I was like, I'm not going to do anything then. And it was just like, I, I can't get onto the purchase screen. It just crashes. So I'm hoping a lot of that stuff has been resolved. Yeah. And I suppose the reason for that is that they are not merging Mac and iOS. Yeah. So I liked this because, so essentially for a bit of background, there's been a... We've, we've discussed it on the podcast as well. Yeah. So there's been um some stuff in the past about how uh, something called Project Marzipan, which is why... So developing for the Mac or UIs for the Mac have been particularly tricky compared to iOS development um, because iOS has a UI kit and people have really enjoyed using that. When it comes to developing for the Mac, a lot of developers don't even bother with it because it's tricky. It's not as nice as UI kit. Um, and there was this rumor a while ago about how uh, they were making Project Marzipan, which is essentially UI kit for the Mac. And Apple brought up this big slide and it said, you know, um, are we merging uh, Mac OS and iOS? And then the next slide was a big no that landed with a, like a bunch of dust settling. And it was, it was quite interesting. I quite enjoyed that. Um, but they did say that coming in 2019, they will be giving UI kit uh, abilities to, to the Mac. And they have three apps or four apps now running this this Project Mazapan UI kit hybrid thing uh, that are ported directly from the the iPhone, the uh, iOS, which is quite interesting. My only concern now is that are people not going to bother like developing new apps for a year? Yeah, I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't bother. No, you wouldn't, because you're just going to go, well, I need to rewrite in a year, like the entire UI layer. So it's so a bit concerning. We'll, there was one other thing, and I won't go into detail on this because Jordan probably, it, it, we didn't, this was right at the beginning. They did this intro and they showed developers in the wild. It was a bit stupid. Um, they, they had someone like faking David Attenborough's voice mm-hmm. saying, oh, look, we're seeing developers in their natural habitat. And it was a lot of people turning up to a WWDC event. And in it, they said that their developers had been hibernating for 11 months. And I just thought, well, that sounds about right. <laughs> Because what what have what have you been doing for them? Um, yeah, it it just it just seemed it just seemed apt that they're saying, you know, you're not going to get these new tools until next year. So anything you make now is is probably going to be thrown away. At the same time, yeah, they so said about yeah. their developers being hibernating. So I, I I guess we'll have to find out. But I, like if I was a if I was a developer and I was starting a new Mac app, I probably wouldn't bother for a year now because you just want to have your UI code work on both platforms. Yeah. Just concentrate on yeah. iOS and then aim to, to port it across. You know, they, they obviously, if they've done it on their news app um, and things like that and stocks, wow, mm-hmm. you know, news in stocks is the, honestly, why ever. did they put so much emphasis on stocks? No, one, no like no I, I don't know anyone who uses stocks. I mean, I've got the app installed because I like to see the, the stocks, but I don't want to read the news in it. I don't even like Apple news. Anyway, anyway. Um, 
if they've if they've successfully done this they've obviously got something that works they're probably working with some partners on it um to 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 port things across so i i doubt it's it'll be available to the public in 2019 but i'm sure i'm sure if someone was saying hey you know someone with power someone the big company Mm -hmm. was saying look we were going to make this mac app and now we don't know what to do um i'm sure apple would um help them out or something or give them some hints um but for the for the average kind of developer it is it is a bit like well actually just focus on ios for now and then you know we'll probably have a nice way of being able to port it in the future yeah it's a good thing to do though it's yeah it's a for good, sure it's a good thing sure, to do I and I, I still think they need to add touch support to the mac but at least this way if they're using the same ui kit um mm. it's it's going to be like step one you know make it so that you can port the apps across step two add touch Maybe not step two but yeah so i am interested to see how a lot of this stuff turns out i'm looking forward to getting my hands on a lot of this thing like all these things it's really really great and I know there's quite a quick run through um, of what kind of we actually picked out that was important to us. Um, I guess I'm looking forward now to seeing how the new phones turn out in September. I'm hoping there'll be new iPad hardware in March. Um, and then I think obviously in WWDC next year in 2019, we'll obviously get this Project Marzipan UI kit thing for the Mac released, hopefully as well as um, the new Mac Pros. So I'll be interested we'll actually get some hardware next year, hopefully, as well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, I did read before before the podcast that with macOS, I saw some someone disgruntled that apparently they have deprecated OpenGL from macOS now in the next version in Mo- Mojave. Mm-hmm. Mojave. Mojave. And Mo- Mojave. Yeah, <laughs> which is... A really interesting move, because um, that's OpenGL is their graphics is the graphics library. Well, they they all use so, they all use Metal, don't they? No, no. Think about things like Maya and Photoshop and and Autodesk's stuff, right? I thought they used well. They, all those kind of applications would use Metal, wouldn't yeah. they? Yeah. So well, Adobe they, have they quite a use strong metal. tie to Apple. They, so I'm so it would surprise me if they're not using Metal. Well, that's the thing, but lots of but the other thing is OpenGL. I guess it would mean that it's deprecated, so it's not been removed, mm-hmm. which is obviously a really interesting point. But you know, I mean that that's not a surprise though. I think I, I I can't remember which version of OS ten, but very very early on, they were bigging up OpenGL because that was the yeah. obvious choice. No, no if you're, it was if 2014, you're starting, they were still doing it, so it's not yeah been yeah. That long. Well, if you're starting from scratch building an op- a new operating system which of course what they, they did when when OS10 was first created they had to pick something and OpenGL was the obvious choice for 3D technology i mean mm. these days metal is their preferred choice in the same way that microsoft preferred directx yeah so i guess we'll see in a year how how this things how these mm. things play out yeah i don't know i don't know whether to be underwhelmed or just normal well, this this one this one you didn't watch and you just heard from us. So at, at least you weren't sat in Slack with us um, bashing it. Maybe I should send you my my like A four page notes in in Markdown of things I picked out that are actually interesting. Mm, <laughs> so you maybe. can not read them. Yes, <laughs> you send me the flight plan. <laughs> yeah, and I'll ignore it. <laughs>
So Jordan, recently I gave you some config files that I use on my Linux virtual machine. Mm. Um, have you been putting them to good use? I have. I have. I, I. So I've been looking for a replacement terminal mm. emulator for ah, Conhost on yeah. Windows, and I used hyper. Oh, I've been using Hyper for PowerShell, so my Windows kind of workflows. And mainly because I really want tabs and to be able to split, split horizontal. I, th- I think we might have discussed this yeah. uh, in, a, in a previous podcast. But I have since switched, based on your recommendation and your config, to for Linux only. So for Bash, so for Windows subsystem for yeah. Linux, I have switched from the con host that it was using, which was what by default is to. WSL zone. Yeah, it's the well the default the default console host host for Windows, which now has been designed to work with um, WSL and PowerShell and CMD. So it's just the default console. So it's just con host basically. Just con host. Just no. So switch from that. Yeah, to to WSL TTY in Minty. Yeah, so it's so it's a Minty it's a Minty variant that's been it's actually supported by the same team. But it's specifically designed so that the installer sets it up with shortcuts for WSL. Yes. And that means things like TMUX work really well in it mm. and yes. various other things. But also what's been really, really interesting to see is based on your uh, TMUX configuration, the, all things like the clicking, like the actual mouse and the cursor work yeah. uh, like properly, which is quite interesting because I'm used to, before Bash on windows with wsl i was used to like putty right yeah or and and so you would have teamworks open in putty ssh into a linux machine and you know you'd I'd be used to all the key key commands so control b and control b create and cycle through them but now what's really brilliant is that your config has allowed me to use my mouse to click on and click between panes and click between yeah. windows and it's just been absolutely great so um, it feels more like a usable, like it feels a lot more productive. So I'm more inclined to use it. So I've been doing a lot of um, work on. Uh, I have a couple of machines in the cloud, some VMs in the cloud. So I just have like a, in my Bash profile uh, on my local machine, just a, a command to just SSH directly into those, those machines. Teamworks attach, and there I've got like I might have HTOP open or Vim or be running some kind of console app, and it's just been really 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 lovely and i really enjoyed it especially the color scheme you've got this really nice color scheme that you had with it where it kind of it, it's not as harsh it's almost like a more pastely yeah well it's, it's my it's my favorite well yeah so i i set a color scheme for all of the colors in the terminal so if you know you do a git status and it shows it in red um and that's actually based off visual studio codes terminal the, the standard uh. dark theme for Visual Studio Code, I basically took their uh, config from GitHub and um, repurposed it and put it into some commands that get called when you boot up the um, the, the bash shell. Um, and then I, I used a teal color for the um, for the UI. So you've got yeah. like a, a, a slightly, I mean, I like teal anyway, but you've got like a lighter teal for the selected one and then a dark, slightly darker teal for the kind of standard um ui color so the the bottom bar and everything 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you um, that you got to try it out. Actually, um, I spent a <laughs> spent a long time trying to get the mouse to work really well, um, and I I actually I did actually reach out to a couple of people on Twitter when I originally kind of tried to set this up. Um, people who I saw have nice Tmux configs, and I sent them messages saying, "Hey, you know, how do you get your mouse to work?" And the overwhelming number of responses I got were, "I." I don't want, you know, I'm using Tmux because I don't want to use the mouse. As if, you know, using the mouse was bad in some way. Um, it's not that it's bad, but it's useful when your whole workflow is mouse-driven. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, if you want to scroll, scrolling, scrolling is oh so God. much more useful. Like, yeah. So the way that I've got it set up um, and the way that you, you, you've got it too now is that if you are using something like Bash that doesn't have, um, a, a, like isn't accepting scroll itself by default, uh, it just goes to the to the D, uh, the Tmux buffers scroll, so you can scroll mm. up backwards, and that that doesn't interrupt the program that's running. So you can scroll up and look at something previously, and still have that you know uh, tailing to the screen or whatever. Um, but if you use something like Vim, it will pass on that scroll command to Vim. So then you get Which Vim's is so nice when you've got a big file. Like I don't yeah. don't get me wrong, it's like. Can, you know, shift and G to get to the bottom of the file or whatever, uh, and going from up and down to the bottom. But sometimes you just want to scroll through a file without using, you know, the mouse is so good for scrolling through just text, just to skim. Yeah. Right. Um, and you use it on your, um, I mean, you use a mouse as well, but on the Surface Book, you know, you get all the gestures and everything too. Mm. Um, and then you can use the cursor to click on any of the panes. So, you know, you just, you're typing on the left pane, you click onto the right pane, and then you know, the, the input switches, whereas previously you'd have to press control B left and right to do that on Tmux. And sometimes it's nicer to just click instead. Yeah. Um, so, so you're still using hyper for other things though. Unfortunately, like, don't get me wrong. I really like hyper. I like the idea of it. I think it's actually, I think it looks beautiful and it's so minimal and they've done a really good job with that. But once I updated from, one to two and it broke so many things like when i control mm. and and left i would not that would normally go take my cursor to the next word or you know effectively it allows me to go through sections really quick it's not really a word but because obviously it, it goes to the next potential special character which will be a space or a hyphen or whatever which is really useful for quickly going through and changing like command parameters for instance mm-hmm. um if on the command line and that's completely broken so when I control left now, it does it just puts B there and it's sending the wrong signals. Ah. And, and and control, it's like, it's just really annoying. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, but the problem is WSL, WSL, TTY and, and, and the kind of Minty don't support PowerShell, the no. you know, Windows version of PowerShell. Yeah, we, it's we, we tried box. this. We tried this earlier today, didn't we? Um, oh, I got it to work. Without going through the Linux subsystem, so basically you're just calling uh, Minty purely with PowerShell Core, and uh, yeah, it didn't look right. And things like Vim don't boot, boot. They, they don't just, even start. Yeah, well, actually, yeah. it started the they, process. It boots by the, the way. process, but it doesn't put it in yeah. the in the window. And I don't really want. Like I was saying to you, I the thing I miss about having a Mac is that right. If I SSH into a machine, you just if I if I use terminal on a Mac. Yeah. If I SSH into a machine, I use Tmux, it's, I'm winning, right? Yeah. I, it just works. I can, all the mouse stuff I could probably make work. I'm not, well, 
not 100% sure if that's true, but I probably you probably could. And then I can open another tab in Terminal because it's got tabs and run Teamux locally and then have all my local work in a Teamux session. But I can't do that on PowerShell. I don't like. Yeah. I don't have tabs right now. I'm sure sets would make this much better when sets come out. Yeah, sets would um, make it a bit better because then you could have, say, for example, Hyper or Conhost and WSLTTY in the same all in the same set. Set, but you're still be switching lovely. between two different types of applications that have different key bindings. Exactly. Um, uh, so I don't know if that would really kind of answer the question of you know having one, but um, yeah. It, it, so I use. I use the uh, WSLTTY config that you know you've now started using. I I absolutely love it. I feel like when you connect to that, and then um, you, especially with long running stuff. So I, you know, if you've got a VM that's been up a week and you've had stuff up in it for a while, you feel really familiar with it, and you feel really productive. It's really a really good way of doing it. Um, and then I use Visual Studio Code opening my scripts folder with the built-in terminal there. But you don't, it's not as like clean as just having a terminal. I think perhaps what I would like is like maybe a Zoom feature on the Visual Studio Code terminal and maybe even better because um, they do vertical splits now, but maybe even more more splits and, and maybe even tabs because you've got drop down. I personally would like to see those kind of terminal improvements come to code. Um mm-hmm more so than perhaps WSL TTY support for PowerShell core. But um, I'm happy to use two different apps for now because I I use, um, I use WSL TTY for all of my uh, Linux stuff, so external VMs and um, WSL itself on the same machine. And then I use code for the local stuff. So if I'm, if I'm running a in my library's workspace – or if I am um, in my scripts uh, folder, then, you know, I often have them on the same virtual desktop. So I've got like two codes on one virtual desktop and then two WSLTTYs mm. on another and then switch between them. Um, two, two isn't bad, but I mean, you use code and hyper and WSLTTY. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the right answer is. It's something I'm probably going to bring up again in another podcast episode when I've figured it out. Yeah, but, but uh, I'm, I'm pleased that you um, that you like the config. I might see if I can put it on GitHub or something to make it available for other people. Mm, for sure, for sure. And then at least when I lose it, I can always go. I can just go to GitHub and get it rather than yeah, asking. yeah. You probably. I think I. I think I sent it to you over Teams or Slack or something, didn't I? Yes. You yes. just co- probably you could just copy pasted it into the machine. Mm. Uh, I just it's not Windows it's not a Windows problem exactly but I think the Mac has always had a, a terminal that works because it's it's a Unix system right it's Linux, it's Unix, it's a Nix system to an extent or is it that it's POSIX compliant? I don't know, I don't think that's got anything to do with it but there's, the fact that the Mac terminal just has always worked for like yeah. Linuxy stuff, yeah. I mean, it's got a Unix terminal. That's the thing. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is a very um, standard style terminal, um, and it doesn't have a special type, especially in things like Vim, because for Windows, we've got the Windows way of drawing to a, a console, and you've got the Unix way of drawing to a console. 
And what what would be ideal really is if the built-in Windows console host did a good job at both. Mm. So you could run Tmux with all the mouse support and, you know, power line fonts and everything else that you may want in Conhost and run PowerShell uh, in Conhost and just have all that stuff work together. And then, you know, those insets would be, would be perfect. So I don't, I think the windows, the, the, the folk who work on the console are back and working on this stuff um, with windows 10. They, they kind of came out of, you know, that kind of hibernation. So they are still actively working on it. Hopefully we'll, we'll see some more updates. Um, I don't know if you saw, but the, in the latest version of the uh, Insider Builds or the latest version of Windows, uh, maybe the public version, they fixed Notepad so that it now does Unix line feeds. Yeah, I saw this, which is actually going to be super useful for when I I hit Notepad just because I need Notepad and I'm opening up like a JSON file. Yeah, just some random file. It off. Yeah, and it's actually going to not all be on one line. So I think they um, are doing things to make stuff easier. Um I guess they've got such a massive long list that um, adding in mouse support in the, in the way that we would like it is probably lower down on the list. Mm. Well, you'll have to let us know how you get on um, in the future and, and let us know if you stay using Hyper or if you switch to something else. I think I'll be using Hyper and WSL TTY for a bit. They could have come up with a better name, couldn't they? Whistle T. Whistle mm. T? Weasel tea. 